Blog Talk Radio. USA soccer fans. This is the Four Year Scenes Fire American Soccer Show. And welcome to basically a, another missed opportunity by the U.S. under 23s, under 24s, as the United States gets eliminated from punching their ticket to qualification to the Olympics. As uh, once again, they have been eliminated, and they uh, basically go home. The final is Honduras 2, United States 1. And all you can really do and say is that this entire situation by U.S. soccer, sadly, has fallen apart. It is uh, one of these situations where uh, they showed no energy in the first half, and when they put themselves down to two in the second, early in the second half, it fell apart in front of them, and all you can do now is worry about next year and that's all you can really do folks and as you look at the uh, situations the scenes over in Guadalajara at the Estadio Jalisco it's just an absolute terrible thing to see them upset It's just, <clears throat> excuse me, a huge disappointment in how this game was played. At least they had a chance when they pulled one back from Jackson Yule. But in reality, in reality, they gave this one away. The truth is that they gave this one away. They did not play up to their level, up to their standards, and there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to be answered as the United States falls in the semifinals, two goals to one to Honduras. Joining me now, Kardik Krishnire, World Soccer Talk. Kardik, um, you know, we've been asking questions about this team. Were they prepared? Were they ready to go? Were they you know, had the energy to go out there, were they able to perform and finally break the schneid of not qualifying for, for two straight cycles of Olympic qualifying? And now Honduras does it again, but in reality, it's more the U.S. is doing to themselves than it was Honduras making 
the move and putting themselves in a position to actually take over and win this match. Yeah, I, look, I mean, it's, uh, it's a frustrating thing again. You know, the U.S. didn't turn up in the first half. Uh, this is what, the fourth successive match in this tournament, we've said this. Uh, you can't keep chasing games. They, they got away in the first two matches with chasing the game. They got, they, Mexico, they made it competitive. Uh, this match, they made it competitive. But you can't, um, um, you can't spot your opposition a full half, which is what happened. Now, Honduras got the goal at the end, uh, at the end of the first half. But, you know, at that point, it just felt like inevitable. You know, I, 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 I thought the Honduran goal was coming for about 15 minutes at that point, and our guys were just hoping to get to halftime. You know, we come out the second half, Ochoa makes the mistake, it's 2-0, but then we start playing, just like the Mexico game, just like the Dominican Republic game, just like the Costa Rica match. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, look, I, I, I think, Daniel, first off, we, we have a losing mentality right now in the men's program, unfortunately, so that's, uh, that's something that, that predated this specific set of players. So that's... Um, uh, I mean, we, we, yes, we've not qualified for the last couple of Olympic cycles, but I think that the mentality where, where we go into these matches kind of scared and tentative, that's something that, that, that developed, I would say, coming out of the 2015 Gold Cup and, 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 uh, and the 2016 Olympic qualifiers, and we haven't recovered from it. Um, uh, but you still have to wonder about the management, right? We can say psychologically – we make these mistakes. We gifted Honduras two goals. Maybe gifted them more, right? They couldn't take the chances. I mean, there was there was one chance I think was late in the match, right? Where I I think Honduras they weren't expecting to have the chance because if they had just taken the shot when they had the opportunity, they would have scored, right? I, that was late in the game, if I remember. But it was like I think they were they were thinking they were trying to keep the ball to keep possession, and our defense was so disorganized. But I, I'm, I'm dialing back. We got to talk about the manager. And exactly. Yeah, I, I, consistently in this tournament, we saw the midfield um, jumbled. We saw maybe, uh, I, how, how would I say this? I think we saw Jackson Ewell playing in the role we assumed Perea would play in for much of the tournament and vice versa. We saw them not really uh, operating in, in their comfort zones. Uh, today, I think you had a terrible first half from both guys. Then you had Yule, you know, really, you know, I, I start getting in guys' faces. After that second goal, I saw him visibly uh, really talking to the guys. Like, you know, you guys are just lollygagging around, right? He's the veteran player on this team, right? He's the MLS veteran. He's the guy with the senior caps. He's the guy who's a successful player uh, in, the, in, in the major league, in the professional league. Uh, the, the top professional league in our country. And um, so he, he had a lot of fire and fight. I, I think he, he, he takes that shot out of frustration, belted it. The goal gets us back in the match because he's looking at his teammates who are like, who are not, not there, right? They're not mentally there. So we're back in it. We have uh, our attackers going at it, uh, pushing forward. And then, um, there's the change where Sebastian Soto comes on for, uh, for, for Perea, right? Sebastian Soto 
is a striker, but you're going to play him kind of in a in a support role uh, behind Ferreira because you keep Jonathan Lewis in the game at that point. And Salcedo comes out a few minutes later. So then your, your, your midfield is disjointed, is my point. So Yule is not seeing as much of the ball as he should after about minute 65. He's not getting the touches. We're playing, we're pushing quickly out into wide areas. The fullbacks are pushing up. Which, you know, our fullbacks have been a good story in this tournament. I think Vines in particular had a very good tournament. Um, but, you know, that, it, it was a jumble. There was no tactical shape. You had 35 minutes left in the match, uh, 25 minutes left in the match, plus, you know, five minutes of stoppage time at that point. You could have reordered the midfield, maybe brought Jonathan Lewis off at that point, and because he was the obvious guy to come off. You weren't going to take Ferrer off. You just brought um, Soto on. You just brought Salcedo on. Bring Johnny Cardoso in the match, stabilize the midfield. Christ doesn't do that until the 87th minute. And I think when he did it, it was right after Honduras should have scored that other goal I was talking about earlier, where they you know, inexplicably didn't take a shot when the, you know, the goal was glaring, right? Um, so... I mean, we have to talk about the entire thing, right? The players, the uh, the performances, the referees, et cetera. The mentality in the in, in the U.S. Soccer Federation. But bottom line is, the most obvious glaring thing is the manager, and um, it was a disaster. And and the last point, uh, Daniel, before I throw it back to you, um, our, our our mutual friend, my my really good friend Neil Blackman, told me Thursday morning that he was uh, very disappointed we didn't go for it against Mexico because he said we're mm-hmm. going to want to avoid playing Honduras. We're going to want to avoid – he thinks Honduras is better than Mexico, which, you know, they'll have the chance to prove it, although the game's in Mexico. So they, maybe on a neutral side, Honduras would beat them probably. I think, I think probably they would. So he said, look, we should have mm-hmm. gone out to beat Mexico. Now we need Canada to beat Honduras or we're not qualifying for the Olympics. We put it in someone else's hands again. And I said, yeah, Neil, you're right, but – you know, this is a different team. I know Honduras is really good, but, you know, we'll be fired up. We'll rise to the occasion. No, we didn't. He, Neil was right. And Neil is a guy who's usually, I think those of you who follow him know he's very optimistic. And he's much more optimistic than me generally about our men's national team. But he, you know, he told me Thursday morning, we're not qualifying if we play Honduras. And it's our fault because we could have beaten Mexico. Mexico wasn't very good, as we talked about on that show. And we, you know, we just sat back for 45 minutes because we were playing for a draw. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 does that all go back to mismanagement by Jason Christ, or is there more to it? Yep. I guess we'll have that discussion. Right, exactly. I, I honestly, I, I really, it, it's a combination of, of some things, Cardick, and I really believe that the combination is this. I think it is Christ's fault, and, you know, I, I, I just wish... That I, I just wish that this this whole four three three situation, this false nine, building from the back, it it's just an absolute. I, I'm sorry, this situation does not work for our players. It is not working for right. our players is, right now, uh, coming uh, from uh, MLS. Let me jump in real quickly. Daniel, let me jump in real quickly. This is why Greg Berhalter has gone and recruited dual nationals. If people are wondering why we have so many guys that, you know, we have a, we, U.S. soccer released a video the other day. We have a guy 
I think he was, uh, you know, he got his first start today, but he, he clearly is like, he speaks French, right? He doesn't know English. And people are complaining, why do we have all these dual nationals? Well, the truth be told, we need to recruit dual nationals who are comfortable playing in this system because Greg Berhalter sees the limitations of our players in MLS. Uh, that having been said, you could argue maybe we should be playing this way, which I think is what you were about to do. And I think that's the problem, Cardick. I think that's the problem um, that we have right now. I, I think the, the problem is you're hiring dual nationals for no reason. I think you're hiring dual nationals for no reason. It's just, uh, it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating to see players that who are supposed to be next in line that that shows promise, and you know this is a major tournament, and all of a sudden it just doesn't show. You can argue that. But then also, you could also argue the modern game requires a team, teams that can play out of the back and move the ball quickly side to side, which is what Burhalter is trying to do. Is what he did with Columbus. I mean, we—it's not like this style is a secret. He, he played this same system in Columbus. The difference was at the club level, you can sign guys, um, you can scour the world, you can scout, and if you have the budget, you can sign the right guys. And I think uh, a couple of guys uh, at the back, Jonathan Mensa. Um, uh, uh, Iguain, uh, Federico Iguain, uh, I would say, was critical to that to playing that style. I think Will Trapp was too, actually. Um, but they, uh, 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 Miram was critical. But a bunch of these guys are not in, are not in the U.S. national team player pool, so that's the difficulty. Christ, I think maybe didn't necessarily want to play this way. This hasn't been his his style historically. He did a little more of it at Orlando City. Orlando City inherited a team from Adrian Heath that had, that had quick wingers, and he had inherited at least for one year Kyle Lahren, um, uh up top. But yeah, I, he, uh, I, I think he's adapting to um, the Burhalter style, realizing that these guys are going to hopefully graduate to the senior national team and be playing in that system for the next couple of years. So maybe that. In, in fairness to Christ, maybe that dictated some of the tactics and some of the selection. But whatever the case, the team, the team look, had looked incredibly flat and nervous the first 45 minutes uh, of, of most of the matches, and especially today. I mean, they were we, – we, we can look at the last 20 or 30 minutes and say we were unlucky not to get an equalizer. That's fair. But quite frankly, we were probably fortunate to only be down 1-0 at halftime because we were awful in the first half. And I, I think that's the consensus. I don't think anyone's going to disagree with that. We were awful in the first half. And that goes back to whatever was said in the dressing room before the match. Um, the guys coming out and being scared, right? They, they look tentative. I, I don't know if yep. they were playing for a nil-nil to get the penalty kick. I, I don't know what they were doing in the first half. I mean, they were eventually going to concede a goal. You can't, you can't sit for 120 minutes and, and, and hope your opposition keeps missing. Uh, uh, missing on that final ball, which is what was going on with Honduras. Honduras didn't look very sharp in the first half either, but they dominated the first half because the U.S. was terrible. And you know what, Cardick? It's a good thing I have friends that do cover Honduras that's going to join us right now. Eduardo Solano um, not only covers New York Red Bulls with me, but uh, he's also covers the Honduran national team. And uh, Eduardo, from your point of view, what did Honduras do in this one that prevented the U.S. from doing anything special against you? Well, um, 
You know how I feel? Uh, because I've been reading it on social media. A lot of people don't really give credit to these kids from Honduras. Like, these kids have been playing in Champions League games. Like the goalkeeper, he played with Olympia. He got, he got, a, he got great games with Olympia against MLS competition. You got kids like um, Decas. He played in Portugal. He got that experience. Maybe he, he wasn't successful, but he gained a lot of experience. He played, he played in Mexico. You got uh, kids like Melendez. Like he's been playing for Motagua, the best team in Honduras for the last seven years, and he's an starter. Like he got like over 100 games. And, and mostly of those, these kids, they have a lot of talent. So it was not like it was going to be an easy task for the U.S. because I'm pretty sure that, that Honduran players have like longer careers at this stage than mostly of the U- United States players. We have great that's players. The thing. We have great players. But, we have a lot of experience, and we we have, we we hungry. You know, as a, as a Honduran, we go through a lot of things. Like there's a lot of people suffering in that country after uh, the coronavirus, after the country being destroyed two times by two hurricanes, and the only stuff that we have as a country that unites us that make us happy is soccer. So these kids know, like, coming into this tournament, it, it was something big for the whole country, for a whole country. That's why they play the way, the way they play. Would, would you say that you had to have a little luck as well, especially getting that second goal at the start of the second half, forcing Ochoa to make a mistake, to bounce it into uh, the U.S.'s own net? Yeah, that was very unfortunate. And, and, it, and it's funny that it happened to two former teammates because Luis Palma used to play in Real, Real Monarchs with Ochoa. Uh, I think that was, that, that, that was an accident. That's not something that, that happened in soccer like often. And, you know, I'm happy that, that it helped Honduras to reach uh, the objective that we that we came to this tournament, but um, that was a uh, that was an accident, and I feel bad for this kid because I'm pretty sure that he's feeling horrible. Yeah, and yes, we well, got we got we got know, lucky. We got lucky. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. You know, when you get those breaks, good things happen. So. Uh, all I can say is, look, I, I think we can all agree that Honduras deserve to qualify for the Olympics. They're going to Tokyo. I, I mean, I'm just, it's just one of those things where there's nothing you can do. Uh, one side had a better game plan than the other. One actually uh, took their chances well, and the other side uh, didn't really take their chances well. And, um, you know, Honduras deserve to go ahead. That's all you can really say about this, uh, Eduardo. Yeah, I think it was a flip coin, you know, and he fall on the favor of Honduras because it could be either team, to be honest with you. It could be either team, but um, Honduras was the luckiest team. I think they play a great game uh, defensively, like those kids, uh, Daniel Maldonado, um, Garcia, 
bakers. And you know something else too? Like mostly of these kids, they know these these players. They know them like uh, Baker. He played with Atlanta United. Palma. He played with uh, Monarchs. Um, Douglas Martinez. He was the person talking to all of these players about, oh, we're gonna play against Salcedo. We're gonna play against Herrera. Uh, Justin Glad. We're gonna. I know all of these guys. This is what they do. Uh, they don't like this. They don't like that. Or you gotta like make sure that they don't go to the right or to the left. You know, put pressure on them. They don't want to get hit. Like that kind of stuff. And and I told Douglas before the game, Douglas Martinez, that used to play for Red Bulls, and now he's in uh, Salt Lake. I said, listen, you gotta you gotta tell these kids like everything. Like you gotta let them know that they at the same level with these kids. That maybe they a little better. You know. So um there's a lot of things that come into factor for uh, the Honduran team to come out with a victory and advance to the Olympics. But um I would just to me the, the main focus is the experience. Because these kids they play on a regular basis. They always play. They are starters on their team. Olympia, Motagua, Real España, they play. Rigoberto Rivas, he's on a starter in Regina. So mostly of these kids, they, they come with a lot of um, experience. And physically, you know, they've been playing. That's something that the United States kids haven't been doing for five months, maybe. Mm-hmm. But, but our players, they have they have rhythm. Physically, they're very strong. They're fast, you know, and they, they can prepare. Exactly. If you prepare, you'll be able to do something good. Well, Eduardo, um, I'm very happy that you were able to call in. Thank you. I know you're very busy at the moment. Thank you for calling in and giving us uh, your perspective of the national team. And uh, all I can say is, my friend, you uh, you enjoy your time with uh, sushis and samurais, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm already wearing my kimono because I'm going to Japan. <laughs> Take care, my brother, and thank you for having me. I will. Thank you, Eduardo. You have a good night. Bye-bye. Eduardo Solano. I know he covers the New York Red Bulls with me uh, for a different publication in New York, but at the same time, he also covers the uh, Honduran national team and all the – Clubs that play in Honduras' first division. Well, Kardik, once again, you've got players who have been playing in the CONCACAF Champions League, UEFA Champions League. They play in MLS. They play in USL. They're part of uh, MLS clubs that have a USL club like Red Bulls 2, Real Monarchs or Real Salt Lakes Club, uh, Revolution 2. So the question begs of this not just the experience that these players of other nations within CONCACAF are getting, but do they know more about their uh, teammates that play for the U.S. than the U.S. players know of themselves? Well, that's possible, but that goes back to the arrogance of uh, our program, the arrogance of our fan base who thinks we should just be able to turn up and beat anyone from CONCACAF if it's not Mexico. Uh, this has happened with Honduras repeatedly, actually, over the course of the last uh, 
Uh, I mean, we were very fortunate in the 2010 qualifying cycle. We came back and beat Honduras in a match in, in Chicago. Uh, 2-1, they, they were the better team for a large portions of that match. I was under Bob Bradley. And then Connor Casey, miracle finishes uh, down in, in uh, San Pedro Sula in 2009. That was uh, a, a surprise. But since then, Honduras has, have, has had the better of the, of the U.S., starting with uh, the qualifier in 2012 or 2013, whenever it was, uh, down there. And both the, the youth level and the senior level, obviously the, the, the U23 match in, in uh in Los Angeles in, in uh, uh, 2015 uh, stands out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, look, I, we know that other CONCACAF nations have benefited from the strength of, uh, uh, of our leagues in the U.S., of MLS and of uh, USL and previously of NASL, right? I mean, we had, we had a number of players, uh, Central American players, in our league and when I worked with NASL. And, and, and when, when, but this is something the U.S. The US I mean, the U, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword, right? You have all these people here in this country complaining that we're in CONCACAF, saying the CONCACAF has to become more competitive. And when uh, Honduras steps up uh, in the last decade, when Costa Rica, Costa Rica has been at a level for about 20 years, uh, a good level, uh, when uh, Canada begins to step up, when Jamaica begins to step up, uh, and, uh, and, and, and other various island nations at, at, at given uh, times, we have a hard time coping. That's our fault. You know, I, I, I'm Daniel. This is getting. I, I, I think I'll, and I'll, I'll think about it, and, and, and probably send out a tweet a little later tonight. This is like the sixth or seventh show in the last seven years you and I have been on together talking like this after the U.S. has an opportunity to qualify for something or win a trophy or or, or meet you know, meet the basic goals of, of of the U.S. program, and we've lost. Okay, I, I'm getting sick of this that we're doing these shows constantly when I, I, I'd like to have a, a show after a, a triumph of some sort with the men's national team. I mean, we, you know, we, we're living vicariously through the women's national team because they're, they win, they're, they're, they're doing something special, and let's hope they, it's going to be a very difficult decision uh, to cut down to 18 for the Olympic tournament. But, I, you know, I watched Abby Dahlkamper yesterday in a match in England. I, I watched, uh, I watched uh, uh, Rose Lavelle in that same match. Uh, we're ready. Our players are ready for, 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 for uh, what's ahead of them on the women's side. On the men's side, the mentality isn't there. Um, and quite frankly, even uh, today, earlier in the day, we had a, a friendly against the uh, Northern Ireland B side. Northern Ireland has a big qualifier on Wednesday. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to see their best side. I, 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 I was looking forward to this match. I thought it was going to be uh, one of the more challenging friendlies we faced. And, uh, it was still pretty challenging, but I, I, if we played the, the, the first, the normal Northern Ireland team, it would have shown us more. But what I saw without Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney in that team, quite frankly, worries me. So I think we're in a position like any other cycle in the past for the U.S. where we're very dependent on, on a handful of players. And um, we just have to hope in qualifying McKinney is fit and that Adams is fit. And we know Adams hasn't been fit. Um, uh, Adams has been, you know, uh, has been hurt maybe, you know, 30% of the time in the last three years. So we are still not, uh, we're, we are still not progressing. It's the point. And uh, the dysfunctional midfield play in this tournament over four matches reinforces that. I had nice things to say about Kellen Acosta, which people disagreed with um, uh, after, the, after the previous friendly the U.S. played. 
against Jamaica. But today he was terrible. And, you know, you could see, like I said, if, if Northern Ireland, Stephen Davis, some of the normal uh, regulars they have in midfield were playing, I, I, I think they, they, uh, it would have been a really, really bad day for Acosta. Uh, so, uh, and we, we talked about Perea on this tournament. We talked about Johnny Cardoso. You uh, will show some fight today, but then you know he 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 needs some he needs a shield he needs to, well actually what Jackson Jewell needs is an anchor in midfield playing behind him. What instead Christ decided he was going to do most of the tournament was play Jewell uh, as the anchor. Ostensibly he sees more of the ball playing as the anchor man. Yeah, I mean you're playing him too deep. This is the same discussion we've had on these programs after defeats in the past about Michael Bradley's role. Why is Michael Bradley playing where he is on the pitch? You know, unfortunately, you only have one Michael Bradley. You can't, you can't clone him and have three of them. Uh, this is, uh, and the U.S. player pool is, is limited. Um, so you have to pick where to play him. Christ picked where to play uh, Yule, and it was the wrong place for much of this tournament. Um, he picked where to play Pereira for much of this tournament was the wrong place. So... Uh, again, we can blame Christ for that, but we also have to admit we have limitations in our player pool. Um, we've been fooled by the fact that we have, right now, uh, two really high-level midfielders playing at top clubs in Europe, clubs that are fighting for, 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 for the titles in their leagues, in, in Tyler Adams and in uh, Weston McKinney. Um, that will make the U.S. better. We will qualify for the 2022 World Cup because we have those two guys, and we have John Brooks, uh, who's one of the best central defenders in the Bundesliga. It's not going to be like 2018 where we didn't qualify. However, I am now concerned, you know, we're not going to get very far when we get to the World Cup in 2022 because I'm not seeing the pieces falling in place around these guys. And Berhalter is seeing the same thing we're seeing and, and is uh, saying, okay, I better go out uh, and go get Sebastio from uh, – from young boys, I better go recruit Eunice Mousse, who's going to be a, it's a fantastic prospect, and the guy, Gareth Southgate, wanted to have in the England squad, but, you know, he's 18, right? But, but Berhalter has made the decision, you know, I've got to reach and get this guy now, get him to commit to the U.S. now, because I'm not seeing what I need to see from my other midfielders. I'm telling you, that's, that's the bottom line. So, and this tournament has intensified that feeling. Um, I think Berhalter probably uh, watched the match. And uh, with his assistance over there out in Belfast, and, and were probably disgusted by what they saw from our midfield. So um, we have a losing mentality to summarize, Daniel. Uh, we, uh, we, have, uh, we bottle it in big matches because we have a losing mentality. Uh, we've been impaired by uh, management decisions as well. We have a federation that's very arrogant and thinks somehow you, you can turn up and you can beat Honduras, and you can turn up and you can beat El Salvador, and you can beat Costa Rica. Well, you're not going to beat any of them with this attitude, quite frankly. Um, and uh, Honduras deserves to win, and uh, I wish them the best of luck. I hope they can, uh, I hope they can Me uh, beat Mexico, that's what they face in the final, and, and do represent CONCACAF well in Tokyo. You know, we don't deserve to be there. No, we don't. We don't. And that's the one thing that really bothers me is that here's a kid in Jesus Ferreira from the FC Dallas um, Academy. And let's be honest with ourselves here. He performed very well in the friendlies he played yeah. in. I know the, whoever the opponent is, you have to play in front of them. There's, all, there's nothing much more you can do. Um, I like what he showed. I really think that you know he's definitely a future player for the senior side. But 
you now you put him into a tournament and he only had you know one good goal he should have had at least three goals in this tournament should have had two in the opener against Costa Rica i would say he should have had one um in the second game against Dominican Republic yet Dominican Republic showed that they're no longer slouches defensively that they're going to frustrate you until you got to force them into, uh, you know, backing them into a corner and try and get them to attack on you. And when they can't, didn't play in the third game against Mexico. Why? Simple, because he was on a yellow card. And in this one, yeah. I thought he was isolated. They yeah. stretched Jonathan Lewis to the far right, stretched Ferreira to the far left of the of the pitch. And as you were saying, you know, we got to have someone in the middle. You needed an anchor to, you know, help out Yule, who should have been probably up top with those two. But they made Yule the anchor. You got nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, 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 Daniel. This is what I want to get at with, with Jesus Ferreira, okay? I, I'm not, I'm not uh, holding him accountable for any of this in this tournament because the tactics were lousy. He was isolated most of the time. He had to drift from side to side to, and, and drift deeper to get service because there was no link-up play. Um, it was terrible the way that midfield was set up this entire tournament, and he continued it today, Christ. And, and, and as, as a result, uh, we, we've been defeated and we've been eliminated, okay? So, uh, uh, and then when he brought Soto on, when Sebastian Soto came on, I thought, okay, the very logical thing to do is to, uh, well, when we saw Soto warming up, the very logical thing to do is to pull Jonathan Lewis off. Uh, he, he had given a decent shift running at the defense. And then you keep the midfield, uh, uh, you keep the midfield trio there and you play through them. And now you have an opportunity if Soto is taking up some of that space so Ferreira can, 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 can move a little more side to side. Well, no. Instead, he took off a midfielder in Pereira, as I talked about earlier, and you wasn't seeing the ball in the right place for the next 20 minutes. Okay? And then Honduras should have had a third goal, and when they didn't get that third goal, Christ is like, oh, maybe I'll bring Johnny on and solidify the midfield. A move that should have been made 25 minutes earlier. Especially when you have five subs. I don't – look, there are, there are other external factors. There are all these different reasons, things that have contributed to us losing uh, and, and, and bombing out of this tournament. But the bottom line is the, the, the actual tactical and man management from, the, from, from Jason Christ was, was, was beyond four. And the problem is we knew this coming into this tournament. We thought – if the U.S. didn't qualify, it would probably come down to who the manager was. And unfortunately, I, and as I said, there were other reasons we didn't qualify. But unfortunately, I think the big talking point, uh, and you know, you, you know our fans, you know, the, you know the, the, our, our fellow media members, Daniel, the number one talking point is how could the U.S. Federation have put this guy who, is a, who has been a clear failure in his last few high-profile coaching jobs in charge of this very important task of getting the national team to qualify for the Olympic tournament. How could the U.S. Soccer Federation have done that? And that's, uh, I, we could say that things have gotten better since you know, the epic election in 2018 and we're progressing. I, I don't know. Now you have to really question that. And this uh, means that all of, uh, and I know Cindy Parlo Cohn, she became the president, inherited disappointment, which was made by Ernie Stewart uh, and, uh, and by Carlos Cordero. But um, 
you know, she's going to have to deal with the fallout because uh, uh, people are not going to be very, very happy. I, I can tell you that that's an understatement, right? I think there's going to be a lot of anger, and uh, the pressure is going to be ratcheted up against U.S. soccer once again. So they're going to have to get through this summer. Uh, hope the women win, win, win in Tokyo. Um, and then uh, ride the storm out until qualifying starts for the men because it doesn't matter how the men have played in these friendlies, the senior team, no one's going to be talking about that game against Northern Ireland tomorrow, okay? Or maybe they'll talk about it in passing. No one's going to talk about and as I said, Northern Ireland didn't feel their full team, so I actually kind of threw the game out in my mind as to, as to what happened. Uh, everyone is going to be talking about this failure. And this is yet another failure. What is it, like five or six failures now in the last seven years that you and I have uh, had to dissect on this show? You know, CONCACAF Cup, the Gold Cup in 2015, uh, Copa America, we played well, but then the, the, the semifinal against Argentina is one of the most one-sided matches of football I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and then obviously the, the epic game Cueva, and now this. I mean, this is this is. I'm getting tired of this, aren't you, Daniel? Aren't you getting sick of, of this every single time we have a post game show after a big game? This is the same thing. We're talking about the same issues every time. I'm disgusted. I, I'm very very disgusted. I was ready uh, to come out here and say the United States for the first time in. Three cycles, because this is the third cycle. Our men's national team, our under-23s, are finally going to play in the Summer Olympiad, in the Summer Games that are going to be hosted in Tokyo, Japan. I was ready to go. I was ready to go. And I'll be honest with you, Kardik, halfway through, halfway through the first half, I mean, obviously, you're, obviously our friend Neil Blackman already said we're not going to qualify. I try to be as yeah. optimistic as possible because I would like to see, hopefully, that our kids are going to go out there, play the way that they've known how to play, and then 15 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes, but even before the hydration break came, I said to myself, they look terrible. They yeah. really look terrible. They're not, they're, they're not stringing along passes. Any attacking run, they're killing it off on their own. They're not attacking strong. They're not linking up passes. They're trying to once again build from the back, which I've been against since Berhalter's coming over. And I know Christ has to do what Berhalter says because basically it is Greg Berhalter's system has to work to put these kids into his national team well, and, and maybe for some of them, they'll get an opportunity in the Gold Cup. Maybe they'll get an opportunity in World Cup qualifying because it's now going to be three matches in a week. In every yeah, match, in every international calendar week, with the exception of November being a regular two games in a week. What are we seeing here? I don't want to, pl- I don't want to do my Taylor Twelman impersonation of what are we doing. I'm not going there. But I'd like to know what the hell is going on at Soccer House it. in Chicago that they're they're happy with this. Yeah. So I looked up at the at the at the at the uh, at the graphic in the, in the corner of the screen, and I thought it was like 1950. Uh, you know, we, we were like 19 minutes. We were approaching the 20th minute. When I was like, how could it be? 
you know, we haven't even strung three passes together this whole 20 minutes. How could it be the 20th minute? I think it's like the, the third minute. Um, so like you, yeah, it was between minutes 15 and 20. I realized we're not going to win this match. When we're not even, we haven't even turned up. And like every other match in this tournament, we fall behind. We didn't fall behind the Costa Rica match, but we should have. But uh, you know, we fall behind, and then we wake up, and there's some urgency. And like I said, Jackson Ewell did that on his own. I saw him very demonstrably looking at other guys, trying to talk to them, and they were, you know, they seemed disinterested or what. I won't say disinterested. They were just, I maybe they were, maybe it was too big a stage for some of these guys. They were, they were scared. I, I don't know. But um, so he scores a great individual solo goal, basically, because he's trying to will the team back. But you know, as I said, then you know, minutes later, Christ makes a tactical change, which means you'll see the ball in less advantageous positions, and. Um, doesn't mean wait basically until Honduras could have scored a third. Obviously, we had our chances, right? Lewis had a chance. Soto had a chance. Um, but all that having been said, right, we were getting these chances because we were just flinging the ball forward, and we were flinging the ball wide. This is the, this is the key thing I wanted to point out. Sorry, tactically. In the last uh, 20, uh, 20 minutes, or between minutes 65 and 85, that when you could have played through Yule – or playing through Perea, if you would catch him on, uh, you're instead pushing balls wide, pushing the fullbacks up, and then so you have overloads in certain situations. So, yeah, you get the ball into the area, and you're getting opportunities to score. But you're not actually creating chances in the middle of the pitch, which are going to be like point-blank chances that you're going to score with. I know the ball fell to Lewis. His body was 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 all wrong, but that came out of like a scrum. I'm saying you had 20 minutes, more than 20 minutes, 25 minutes, actually would have been 30 with stoppage time, to fix things. You're only down a goal, and Christ bottled it. You have your your most influential player is is a number eight, naturally, although you're playing him as a six. You play through him the rest of the match, and he probably creates one or two really good chances for for your strikers. But as you said, you know, Jesus Ferreira was, was isolated. You know, he and he and you weren't able to link up because of the way that the team had been set up. Uh, Soto was, was thrown on without a defined position. And at one point we had Soto, Ferreira, Lewis, and Salcedo all on the pitch at the same time. So, yeah, okay, we're going to create chances then because we got all these attackers on, but they're going to crowd into each other's space, and it's going to be, you know, you hope you get a deflection or the keeper makes a mistake and you score. That's, that's basically what that is. Um, and apparently, you know, Stuart Holden said, oh, well, we throw the, ta- we throw the tactics out the, out the window now at this point when he was justifying this, uh, this, this strange setup from Christ. Well, in fact, Christ didn't have a tactical plan to start with before the match. And then whatever semblance of tactics that came about because the players began to figure it out because they were in certain positions and they were getting beat uh, and they were beginning to figure it out, got thrown out with all his substitutions which were, uh, uh, you know, quite illogical. I think Soto needed to come on. He didn't need to come on for Pereira. Uh, I think Johnny, uh, Johnny coming on for uh, Jonathan Lewis, I mentioned this. I tweeted it. I said, this is, a, this is the first logical substitution Christ has made, but he's making it in mid-87. <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're getting beat. You're effectively getting beat from minute two onward because, like we said, the first half was terrible. And all Christ could do was react and throw guys on. And Look, I, I, I don't know what they're doing at Soccer House. I, I don't want to, you know, 
I think we have to quote Taylor Twelman, Daniel. I know we don't want to, but what are they doing? What are we doing? What's going on there? Why would you, having not qualified for two successive Olympics, given the job to a guy who has bombed out of his last two jobs in MOS? And we know how badly he bombed out and, at New York. The next year, Patrick Vieira took the same players and almost won the Supporters' Shield, right? And then we know in Orlando, right. Oscar Perea has taken over the same team, and they're one of the best teams in MLS with the same players. So how, how is it that this guy gets rewarded with this job, which is a, really kind of at this point a life or death matter for us, having, having not qualified the last two cycles? I, I just don't know how, how they make this determination. I don't know either. I really don't. I, I, I want to throw this out at you, Kardik, and, and our listeners. This is um, from his press conference. Obviously, we couldn't listen to it, obviously, but this is from the press, from the pre, from the press conference after the match. Uh, Charles Bohm says this is Christ's final words. It's a fact of – excuse me. It's a fact of life that you lose more than you win, and it's always going to be about – who gets up and moves forward the quickest? The disappointments happen in your life over and over and over again, and you have no choice but to move forward. What does that tell you about how this team performed in this tournament? Because I'll tell you what it means. It means that if you're expecting to fail all the time, Maybe we shouldn't be ranked as high as we should be in, in, in the world rankings of FIFA. Because if you're expecting to fail, if you all of a sudden woke up on that day, you try to give a pep talk to your players, but in the back of your head, you know you're not going to qualify. So what's the point of me being here? Because that's what it reads to me. What am I doing here? Yeah. This smells yeah. like to me, Christ giving up in the third match against the New York Red Bulls and giving out this gobbledygook of what went wrong against the Red Bulls when he was managing New York City FC's first year of their existence in Major League Soccer. I really believe right now, Cardick, I really believe right now Jason Christ has lost the plot. He has lost the plot on anything and everything, whether you're coaching men, kids, under 23s, teenagers, what have you. This man is a shell of his former self, and this man is an absolute failure of a head coach once he left Salt Lake to do whatever he tried to do, and he can't do a damn thing anymore. I am afraid for Inter-Miami right now, because for Phil Neville, he has a losing mentality for an assistant right now. I, I, I don't even know what to say, Daniel. I mean, that, that, that's an absolutely inexplicable uh, quote. And uh, this is the losing mentality. This is the, uh, the excuse-making of the U.S. Soccer Federation. Christ, Christ is, I guess, the company man. Uh, you know, he, he, he's lost his way since he left Salt Lake. Um, the, the, the bottom line is that, that, that quote smacks of a manager uh, who imparted his team, okay, we're probably going to get beat, but just do, do you try your best. Um, and, 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 again, 
uh, it, it's tough to fault the players when they're not getting the right technical and tactical direction, right? I, I can say Pereira didn't have a great tournament. I can, we can talk about Jesus Pereira, but they were all, they, none of them were put in, ma- in positions to succeed by their managers. I mean, the only guys who had standout tournaments really were the, were the two fullbacks, and I think the, the central defense was, 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 was solid. I actually thought Ochoa prior to the mistake. Those things happen, by the way, in football, what, what happened with, with, there. Um, especially in this era of keepers playing with their feet. Um, I, I, I think that the, the whole federation has a losing mentality. And it's a uh, – I, I don't even know what to say. Seriously, that quote, I, I'm so angry now hearing that. I, Daniel, I, I, maybe we just move on because <laughs> these are things I really regret. That, 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 is, that is an absolute capitulation. This is why we continue to fail. I'll leave it at that. Here's Taylor Twelman's tweet. Unacceptable U.S. soccer, a failure to the ninth degree to, uh, because you had the warning sign from October of 2017, and yet here we are. A proper footballing nation doesn't fail to qualify for an Olympics three times, three-time running. Let me just say this, and I know people are saying, well, you know, what do the U.S. women's national team, you know, they, they always qualify for the Olympics. I, I want to say something about this. And this is nothing against the women. It's an amazing achievement that our women qualify for the women's tournament every single cycle. Because why? Because the mentality that they have is not being scared. The mentality yeah. that they have is that they know that they are good enough, smart enough, physical enough. And intimidate in this confederation, name me one nation in this confederation in the women's football department that can match up to our girls. Canada, outside of the north zone of Canada and Mexico, because Canada has always been a solid opponent for them, but at the end of the 90 minutes, our women beat Canada every single time. Let me also say this, because this is qualifying from within our confederation. This is not about being in the tournament proper against a Sweden or a Germany, because here's the truth, is that outside of CONCACAF in the women's game, those nations are now taking women's football seriously. Women's football seriously and they are now challenging for world cup titles that is the difference between what you face an opponent from the rest of the world to the opponents that you're playing within your confederation this confederation outside of mexico and canada and the united states they have nothing on us nothing at all the women are even looked down upon in our confederation. Didn't Jamaica just say, you know, okay, we're going to bring in the women's game. Now we're going to get rid of it? Because they believe it's a waste of time to allow women to have a national team. And no matter how hard CONCACAF is trying to improve the women's game to make it more competitive on the women's side, 
our women will always be the best because their mentality is stronger right now in the women's game. That's what it is. You have right now, Cardick, in the men's game. It's not just about to go every single time in a tournament just so you can get past them and have bragging rights of the border war. What you need to do is have the mentality of we are up and coming. We are doing some damage. We are going out every single 90 minutes, whether it is a Gold Cup tournament, an Olympic qualifying tournament, an under-20 tournament, an under-17 tournament, even the national team. You need to play within your confederation to qualify for a World Cup and play in a confederational national team tournament to show your dominance of this confederation. Because I understand what everyone's saying. The goal is to be better than England, than Germany, than Italy, and Spain, and France, and, and any other powerhouse. Even in South America, you've got to defeat Brazil, and Argentina, and Colombia, and Paraguay, and Uruguay. You have to go out and face these top national teams that have been doing it for as long as the sport was created, and you still can't do it. And no matter how many times you're going to say, well, we have to play these better national teams, we're not questioning that. Right now, the, the, the urgency is, can we beat the teams below the north zone and some of the powers in the central zone? Can we beat these teams to qualify for an Olympic tournament? And right now, the answer is no. Yeah, I, we've been eliminated two, two, two successive times by Honduras. The previous time we were... Uh, uh, eliminated by El Salvador. So this idea that we uh, somehow uh, we can compare ourselves to England and to I, mean, I, I have these people these people on Twitter are saying we have a better uh, generation of players than England or Germany. What are they talking about? I mean, really, this is like I said, we have some really good guys at the top end. I would say at the very top end in McKinney and in, in and in Adam. And uh, as, and I've also said, yeah, I watch a lot of Bundesliga, as you know, Daniel. I think John Brooks this season, not, not always, you know, he's, he's having a really good season this year. This season is one of the top five central defenders in, in, in arguably the best league in the world. So, you know, we've got some good stories. We also have an absolute lack of depth still. So, you know, we can go through the list. We can say, okay, you know, uh, we, we, we think Gio Reyna and Christian Pulisic are, are solid internationals. Josh Sargent, who I think is actually having a pretty decent year at Bremen, even though he's not scoring, solid international. Um, and then we have three elite players in Brooks, McKinney, and Adams. Well, what I saw in this tournament is that um, if Tyler Adams is injured, which he's been injured a lot, I, I think I said this earlier in the show, but if Adams is injured, uh, uh, in, in the World Cup or World Cup qualifying, we have a, we have a real problem. Because yeah, so you can you can name our, our first uh, eight, eight or nine guys. You know, Timmy Weah has come in uh, last last six weeks. Has been playing really well for Will. So you know, we have guys that are do, doing doing a job in places, but we're still lacking depth. And one injury does it. You know, I saw it today against the Northern Ireland B team. You don't have McKinney and. Uh, and Adams in the midfield, the midfield really doesn't work well. So uh, transpose that to this situation where Christ had a midfield that didn't exist basically for much of the tournament. 
Now, again, and, and you know, I've just seen a tweet from our friend Neil Blackman, um, you know, we're looking at a situation where you knew who the two teams you probably had to beat uh, in coming into the tournament war. You would either have to beat Mexico or Honduras, um, according to Neil's tweet. You know, you have to beat one of those two. We lost to both of them. But you have to beat one of those two um, to qualify for the Olympics. So what you need to do is construct a midfield cognizant of the opponent that could beat those two, one of those two teams. And we failed to do that. And, uh, yes, you can say we didn't have our, 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 our A selection. You know, we would have liked to have had McKinney and Adams, who are both age-eligible in this tournament. But that doesn't matter. You still have a wealth of guys to choose from that were eligible in MLS and elsewhere. And even with the guys that were selected, this is where I might argue with Neil a little bit, because I would say even with the guys that were selected, I think you have the chance to be at least Mexico, right? I think looking at the two games, Mexico was the more beatable of the two. Right? If we beat either one of them, we get in. So uh, whether it was today or Wednesday, um, you then have to think about the way you played the four or five midfielders you selected, starting with Yule. And then, you know, just go back to the last that, that, that period from minute 65 to minute 85. We're down a goal. Uh, very clearly, uh, at a certain point, Honduras decided they were going to counterattack, right? They had a lot of the ball. Uh, Honduras had a lot of the ball until we scored. And when it was 2-1, they basically you know, went back into a shell. Um, now, they came out of that shell around minute 80 because we weren't doing anything, because our midfield was dysfunctional, and our midfield was dysfunctional because Christ had made a very conscious choice to throw every attacker he had on the bench, on the pitch, and, 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 and as a result, take out midfielders, leaving effectively one midfielder on the pitch. You know, effectively, we were playing a four, what would the formation be, a 4-1-5 uh, by about minute 85. So, you know, these are, these, are just, these are things within your control. You pick the wrong manager or, 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 you, pick, or, or you pick the wrong squad before the uh, tournament. I, I mean, whatever it is, um, there, there's, uh, the blame is at the very top. So back to your original point, Daniel, what are they doing at Soccer House right now? What, 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 is, what is Cindy Parlo-Cohn going to come out and say tomorrow about this failure? Is she going to give us? Will she say advice? anything at all? Oh, you know, we need progress. What is she going to say? You know, I mean, I don't know if she's going to say anything at all. I mean, she's going <laughs> to, excuse me, she, she's just going to have to come out and, and, you know, somehow tell every single U.S. soccer fan that this is unacceptable. We cannot continue to have. Uh, our under-23s consistently not qualify for an Olympic uh, tournament. That's what she's going to have I mean, to say. I, I, that she's going to have to go – that she's also going to have to say she's going to find a better manager. She might have to go outside of MLS to do this. She's going to have to go outside of MLS to do this. And let me just say this, Cardick, and, and this is nothing against what you're saying. Is she a president of this, confeder- of, of this federation? Or she's just being a president in front of who the real people are running U.S. soccer. Because we all know, know. in reality, it's the board of directors. The U.S. soccer board is running things. 
When you had, yeah. let me just say this, you, you can fault Sunil Gulati, you know, for the failures to qualify for 2018 because he is the president of the U.S. Soccer Federation, which I understood. And, you know, you know, he, at least you had a guy who knew what the hell he was doing. The day that he was, not only was the day that he did the right thing to fire Klinsman at the time because the players were not listening to him anymore. You bring in Bruce Serena, but still the players were, you know, halfway through, you know, go, being better. And then the players assumed they, oh, we're going to qualify with these again. It's not going to be a big deal. They lost that edge. They lost this. They lost that. Bruce Serena, I'd like to see some of these uh, European nations try to qualify through our confederation. You know, he shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't be, but you know what? Bruce Serena left. Sunil Gulati left. The board of directors said, okay, we're going to take over. We are going to bring in someone who we think you should be hiring as president of U.S. soccer. Carlos Cordero basically is the wizard, and the ones pulling the strings was the U.S. soccer board. Cordero said something he shouldn't have said. He's gone. Here comes Cindy Paulo Cohn, and I am I'm – giving my utmost best to allow her to do these things that she should be doing as U.S. soccer president. And I'm telling you right now, if there is not even a single thing coming out of either the website of U.S. soccer, their Twitter accounts, Facebook account, Instagram account, any social media account that U.S. soccer has, and she does not come out and say the next cycle, which is coming up quickly for the Olympics – I need to find a better head coach outside of the United States or bringing a better mind that is not related to either Greg Berhalter or the men's net or, or U.S. you know, a U.S. soccer person or MLS or whoever. I'm going to give that person a fair chance to try and qualify. And if I can't do it, then I might have to go outside the, outside the country to bring in somebody else because right now, I just don't trust her, not because I think she's a bad person. I just don't trust her because she is now the green glob blob wizard when the real people pulling the strings behind the curtain is the U.S. Soccer Board of Governors. Yeah, so let's, let's find out if, if Cindy Parlocone is a real uh, – president now president or is, she, is she just a figurehead right i don't know because i don't i don't i don't really sense that cordero was uh um was anything but um a, a figurehead either um uh you know i i i i think we've got a board now that's uh that's very comfortable they're making a lot of money they're they're, they're hosting the 2026 world cup so they feel like nothing else really seems to matter the women keep he, the women, despite the disrespect the Federation has shown the women, uh, continue to to, uh, um, uh, to, to, to to bail them out. Now, you know, I, I think maybe some of the things – we can talk about this another time. Megan Rapino spoke at the White House the other day. Uh, Sidney Parlacone had to respond to some of those comments. That, and we can have that discussion another day. That's a whole other another topic. But that seems to be the only thing that, sh- that, 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 that the Federation will step in and respond to. They won't actually respond to results on the pitch. Right, they won't result. 
respond to this. Uh, yeah, Taylor Coleman's right. I mean, we, we may think he get, goes over the top and gets emotional about these things, but I don't know how you don't get emotional. He's right. What, what kind of uh, uh, great footballing nation uh, fails to qualify for a major tournament three straight cycles? I mean, it just doesn't happen. So I just don't know what, 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 what's their comeback at this point. And, and if, they, if, this, if they realized how important this was, which I think they did, why would they leave it in Jason Christ's hands? I, you know, that's the biggest question right now. I don't know. I really don't know. I wish I had an answer for you, Cardick. But as of right now, this is like recycling head coaches that have been in MLS. Let me just say this. Let me just say this, and I, and I really want to emphasize this. Who was not an MLS coach, but yet he found success in the last four tournaments with the U.S. under-20 national team? Who had the success of getting not only out of the group, but successfully in the last four under-20 tournaments to get to the quarterfinals, play hard, play your best, show no mercy, do not show any fear. I want you to go out and play the way I played back in the day when I was on the national team, when I played this game, uh, you know, before I came back to MLS. Who is the head coach I'm talking about right now that is in MLS and right now the head coach of the Houston Dynamo? Who am I talking about? And he's yeah, originally born in my backyard. Well, I mean, it's, it's Tab Ramos, but I mean, there's a lot of, look, I, I'm going to go back to, uh, uh, to, to what Claudio Reyna said, speaking of another you know, midfielder from, 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 from uh, kind of your neck of the woods. Um, uh, Claudio said when he, when, he took, when he was the technical director at, at uh, uh, U.S. Soccer and then they, he decided to leave, he said very clearly, uh, he said this a couple of years later, 2017, when we failed to qualify, that the arrogance is unbelievable among the American coach. And uh, these guys think, uh, these American coaches that he deals with think that they're, 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 they're like uh, the next Pep Guardiola or, or the next Jurgen Klopp, right? They, that there's no humility among the coaching ranks in this country. Um, and, you know, now he's, he, I think, constructed – it'll be interesting to see how Claudio gets to construct this, uh, this team at uh, – uh, and obviously, you know, Claudio had to fire Jason Price after one season at New York City FC. It'll be interesting to see how Reina constructs this Austin team because um, I, I think that – uh, Josh Wolf is a guy that's worked his way through up the ranks, right? I, 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 maybe it was all too easy for Christ, like it's been for a lot of MLS coaches, where he was a player, he was an active player. Uh, Salt Lake decided to fire John Ellinger, and they, you know, they, they put uh, Christ retired and became the head coach. I mean, he didn't even have to do an apprenticeship as an assistant anywhere, uh, like, like Josh Wolf has had to do, and like some of the other guys or coach at the youth level, like Tab Ramos. Uh, Tab Ramos had left the sport for a while. Um, yeah, you know, there are guys that I think that are out there that, that would do a better job. Um, and we also have to have some technical direction here for for for, for, for uh, these teams. So I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know what any Stewart's going to say tomorrow, right? I mean, ultimately, maybe Cindy Parlo Cohen gets a pass. They say, well, you know, she she inherited this situation. It was uh, it was Carlos Cordero deferring to Ernie Stewart and Greg Verhalter um, that have put us in this position again. Um, with uh, and maybe you know, it goes back to the fact maybe it's not it's not all on Christ maybe it's all on the fact that we, we're trying to play a style of football, um, a very kind of Dutch style, 
you know, brought by, by, by Stewart and, and Berhalter. Uh, Berhalter played most of his career in the Netherlands, as you know, or, you know, or a big chunk of his career. Sweden. Most, most of his career. But, yeah, well, he coached in Sweden, but I'm saying he played uh, in, in, in Holland for much of his career. So, so that, his ideas, his, Berhalter's ideas are very Dutch, is what I'm trying to say. He, his, his style no, is No, I understand. Much. This is why I think, like, yeah, Serginho Dest is with, I, this is why I think Serginho Dest committed to the U.S. Uh, I know the people who defend Jurgen Klinsmann say, oh, all these dual nationals came uh, under Klinsmann. I will tell you, there is no other U.S. coach, potential U.S. coach, that would have recruited Guest. I'm not – we criticized the Verhalter appointment over and over again on this show, but I will admit if Jesse Marsh was the manager or, uh, or Oscar Ferreira or, or, or Juan Carlos Osorio, Guest is probably playing for, for the Netherlands. Um, there, so, but my point is Verhalter's tactics – and Stewart, Stewart is of course Dutch, also, uh, Dutch. Uh, their 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 view of the sport is very much in kind of a, a Dutch style of football, which I appreciate, and I think eventually we need to get there. The question is, are our players right now tactically smart enough and mentally strong enough to play that way? And we're finding. With, you know, with the exception of our elite players, with the exception of McKinney and Adams, and the same guys I keep mentioning, uh, 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 Timmy Weah now, uh, Pulisic, Reyna, with those exceptions, uh, we're, uh, we're not there. You know, our guys aren't, aren't, aren't strong enough mentally to play out of the back and to, uh, because they have these concentration lapses. And um, that's something we have to work on, right? If you're going to play that's right. a high-intensity style that depends on playing out of the back, Maintaining possession and playing uh, and pressing high to win back possession, which is ultimately the Ajax school of the the Rennes Michel school, Johan Cruyff school of of football, which is what um, Berhalter is trying to impart in the U.S. Um, You're going to have to have guys that are mentally stronger than the guys we have. I hate to say it. I mean, that sounds very. I mean, it sounds very rude, I'll admit, but you can't have guys who are having mental lapses in the middle of the matches, which is my, one of my concerns when I, people say, well, why do you like uh, 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 Adams and McKinney and so much more than you like Pulisic? I mean, I watch all of them. I watch European – I geek out on European football every weekend. I will tell you, Pulisic has the kind of mental lapses I, I saw starting at Dortmund his final season that I don't generally see from Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams is very strong mentally, very, very, very oh, dialed yeah. in. Positioned well, mm-hmm. you know, tough kid. He's not going to make some of the mistakes that these other guys do. But I've seen Pulisic make those mistakes in games pretty regularly, honestly. So there are only a few guys that I think are at an elite level in our pool. So the question then, Daniel, is do we have to dial back the tactics and play a more simple style of football, which relies on counterattacking and set pieces and, and athleticism? Um, we don't want to do that because that feels like we've been defeated. But we're getting defeated playing this other way. So and that's something that Ernie Stewart and, and Greg Berhalter have to think about. Or maybe they just say, you know what? We're just not going to pick the guys that were on this team again, and we're going to move on. I, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to react. But if they don't address it, they're, 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 it's liable to happen again. It, it keeps happening. It's the point. And if we're going to go play the Dutch system, I'd rather have Thomas Rongen managing the under-23s. I mean, let's. let's yeah, I'll just be honest with you right now. Right, yeah. I'd rather yeah. have Rongen there and then have Berhalter, like, you know, claiming, you know, well, I know how to do the, the Dutch method. Well, no, we have a well, Dutchman. I, I think, I think, I think what States. Berhalter has done with Thomas 
and I'm, I'm very friendly with Thomas, just in the interest of full disclosure. So oh, I, I, I know so a lot of what he's worked on. Yeah, so I, I think what uh, what Berhalter has done with Thomas is he's used Thomas to help kind of uh, locate some of these dual nationals for him. So Thomas has put together a list of players um, for Berhalter to pursue. So I'm sure Eunice Musa was on that list. Hey, here's a guy, yep. dual national, he'll fit your style. So that's how Berhalter is using Thomas. But you're right, maybe he should have used him to manage the youth team to impart these ideas um, instead of, you know, using them to try and find guys to recruit for the senior team. Um, that having been said, I, I will t- tell you, you know, as you know, Thomas is involved in what, what Berhalter is doing and what Ernie Stewart um, is doing. So, yeah, maybe he would have been the right guy or, uh, or someone else. I mean, I just don't know how the Christ appointment was made. Um, I mean, maybe Anthony Hudson would have been the right guy. I don't know. Uh, I, I, or you go a cycle with John Hackworth. Maybe um, he does okay at Louisville. I I I I just Christ seems to have been the wrong guy, and and we and the thing that that's disappointing Daniels. We all knew it, right? We all said it before this tournament. We've been saying it for the last year. We were hoping. I mean, I, I talked openly with people about it, hoping that Christ Christ was coaching the uh, managing the Fort Lauderdale team in the USL last year but uh, hoping that he would get another MLS job so then he would not be the U23 coach when the time came for this uh, you know, do-or-die tournament where effectively you have to win one or two games but you're playing against teams that are um, – well, I mean, Honduras is better than us. I am not so sure Mexico is better than us based on what I saw. We just were tentative and thought we had qualified already and, 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 and screwed around for, for 45 minutes in that match, right? So, you know, that comes back to the manager again. It does. It absolutely does. And the decisions, you know, I, I'm not trying to throw out, you know, well, what would have happened if they decided to bring in Caden Clark uh, from the Red Bulls or, you know, who, you know, obviously has done very well for himself since he made the call up from Red Bulls 2 in USL to the Red Bulls in MLS and the goals he scored uh, in, and how he set up the goals as well. I mean, you know, would he have made a difference on this under-23 team? I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to put him into that position because he wasn't selected for this under-23 tournament, well, technically under-24 because of the pandemic, because this tournament was supposed to be played last year for this Summer Olympics. And now, once again, you know, it's just mind-boggling what's going on. I will say this, though. I want to be fair here, though. I'm not going to blame Ochoa for the mishap on the second goal because I felt that the defender put the ball back towards him and put him in a position where he was going to and, fail. And not only that, Daniel. Daniel, not only that. No other defender came to kind of he, – he, he had to take longer than he wanted on the ball because no other defender uh, made a run back to show himself for the ball. So – I think Ochoa at that point sees the Honduran attacker closing down. It's just like, I better get rid of it. Um, and uh, That's right. as, as uh, a friend mentioned, you know, the Honduran attacker knew, knew his game and, you know, had scouted him and had played with him. So uh, got the goal. But I, I think that was it. I think our defenders got very lazy. This is what I'm talking about, about mental mistakes. Mentally, these guys switch off at times, these, these young, younger American players. It's a recurring problem. And so one of the central defenders switched off at that point and didn't show himself. Because Ochoa would have turned and played it out, but there was no one there. That's the fault of the defender. Well, we actually saw a similar situation in the Women's World Cup. We ended up saying, 
when uh, uh, a mistake was made, it was actually on uh, it was actually on Abby Dahlkamper, or it was actually on. Uh, um, yeah, I think we we, we blame Dahlkamper for it because because um, there was no one there to play the ball, right? Remember that that was the match against uh, was that the Spain game um, in the Women's World Cup where yeah. we had we almost had an yes. error like this. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And we blamed and we and we we talked about it on your show after the match and determined uh, similarly it was the fault of the of, of the central defenders that didn't show themselves. In fact, I don't think it was uh, I don't think it was Dahlkamp, it was it was Becky. She didn't show herself for that ball. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's uh, who it was. Be- yeah, Sauerbrunn. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a similar yeah. situation, and the keeper gets caught. I mean, it's just it's unfortunate, but you can't defenders can't switch off in that situation. No. No, they can't. And the other one I will go to is this. The phantom foul on Jonathan Lewis. How do you call a foul there where he is he doesn't even interfere with the defender? The defender gave up because he thought the ball was going to go over the end line, and Lewis cuts in, takes the ball, and he's just about to attack the net along the near side, and the referee blows the whistle for the foul. How is that a yeah, foul I... on Jonathan Lewis when he doesn't even make the contact? Or he's making a defensive play to reclaim the ball. Right, and with uh, it, no call that, is what, that, what you should have there. No, I'm, not, I'm not arguing no. there should have been a foul on Honduras for the penalty. I'm not, I'm not going to argue that. I'm going to say it should have been uh, just play on. Um, that's it. Yeah, and I also thought there was a really questionable call in stoppage time where the Honduran, uh, Honduran player made a two-footed tackle on. By that time, I, can't, I think it was Salcedo. Um, and he won the ball, but I – I've always said, and I know there's disagreements on this, that even if you win the ball, if you cheat to win the ball, if you go in two-footed, that should be a foul. And I, I know I said on Twitter it should be a red card. Now that I've thought about it, I was hot at the time. It probably is like just a free kick or a yellow card. But, um, but mm-hmm. I think we should have had a free kick there. This having been said, you know, again, we're in this position because we're chasing the game because we didn't turn up. I mean, I, the thing I want to know from Christ which he obviously hasn't addressed in the, in the, in the comments uh, Charles Bohm has, uh, uh, has transmitted to us uh, via Twitter. Uh, it, what exactly was going on in the dressing room before the match? That we, because uh, look, you know, we, 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 we had all these chances. We could have scored three, four, five goals in the second half. But quite frankly, in the first half, if Honduras's passing, uh, actually final ball had been a little better, I wouldn't say they're passing. They got into good positions. They just, you know, didn't take advantage. We could have been down two or three goals at halftime. We were just not even in the game. I mean, it, was, it was pathetic. And I don't know what. It was. Was Christ trying to relax them and tell them, hey, don't, don't play with any nerves? So they came out and they were just casual and got run over? I, I don't know. I mean, I would like to know what was said before the match because the first half was, was atrocious. It was. It was very atrocious. It was absolutely disgusting that you're seeing this team – not playing with conviction, not playing with a positive mentality that they're going to take this. If you felt comfortable, if you felt comfortable that they were going to go do a job, well, that first half should have spoken volumes on a positive level. No, it brought in fear and despair. And that's how we all felt watching this one. And you're thinking to yourself, fear. That's all it was. And if that's the you word. can you get – That's the word. Fear. They, they fear. fear in their if eyes. If you can get to halftime scoreless, maybe Jason Christ can have a little, uh, you know, a little leeway here. Maybe, okay, fine. 
You just got you just saved yourself a headache. You're nil-nil at the half. You got 45 minutes left. Possibility of maybe having extra time if it does happen. You can readjust your tactics, your formations. You can readjust anything and everything you want to. And then be ready for a fresh 45. Go out there and, you know, tell these guys, guys, we're not playing with enough heart. We're not playing with enough drive. We're not playing enough common sense here. You want this? You want to take it? You got to go out and take it and don't be afraid to face against these, this, uh, this opposition. Go out there and do your best. Instead, you're down a goal uh, at the half, and then all of a sudden, you're down by two at the start of the second half. Yeah, I mean, they, but there was no, I guess they didn't have a sense of first this coming, coming into this match. I mean, what, what was their, I still don't know what their expectation must have been, that they felt they could come in and perform like this. That, that, that they, they felt that it was okay to play uh, in this sort of uh, uh, defensive uh, posture, or not, not even defensive. I mean, they were trying to go forward, but they, were, they weren't going – there was no link up in the play. It was this kind of very uh, – uh, get the ball to a guy and let him take a guy on. If he's going to have to play, play a quick pass, there's not going to be anyone making the run, right? There, it was just a lazy way of playing. Right, I think you're right. It was the idea was to get to halftime nil nil, which I mean, granted the Honduras goal came in first half stoppage time, but the way they played, they were never going to get to halftime nil nil. I mean, it was the same thing as Mexico, right? Mexico was a, a giveaway right before halftime. It was almost clock. It was almost uh, the same thing, right? Mexico was a much better team the whole first half, and it looked like we're going to get to halftime nil nil, but they score right before halftime. Same thing here. You know, Honduras is, is, bat, is, is battling us, but oh, okay, we're going to get in at nil nil. No, no, uh, who cares about the statistics that they had oh, so many more scoring opportunities? But then, you know, we're not able to uh, to clear the ball, and they get kind of a sloppy goal. Um, but you know, they had earned it by that point. I mean, you know, I thought it was a sloppy goal, and then it felt terrible about it, and felt we were unlucky for a second. And I thought, you know what, Honduras should have scored a couple times already. So. Um, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Um, so again, this is uh, the the question now is what 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 um um what 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 is crisis fallback now? Now, so crisis is going to be on the staff. You mentioned for, for the Fort Lauderdale team at MLS uh, with under Phil Neville, and uh, now maybe he's a decent assistant. I I don't know, but he certainly can't manage team again at a high level. I think I think that determination has been made based on what we've seen in the last uh, eight days. Exactly. I don't think he deserves another job. Um, I don't think Jason Christ deserves to be a manager, whether it be in MLS. Hell, I wouldn't trust him with a USL team, whether it's in the Championship League or League One. I wouldn't trust him. I wouldn't give him a chance. I wouldn't even bother signing him up to take over a rec league team. You know, Jason Christ, you know, with all the positives he's had, it had to be the NYCFC job that had to bring him down, which is amazing. Brought him down and from a brilliant mind to a guy who basically, in my book, has lost the plot. It's just unbelievable yeah. to see what he has done and the failures that he has brought 
to not only an NYCFC, but to Orlando. And now another Olympic qualifying campaign that has been thrown out and well, whatever Orlando good was, was done. Than, uh, in Orlando, it was even worse than the, uh, the record indicated because in Orlando, uh, there was a period of time where they had more players arrested than points. There was like a, a, a four-month stretch where that happened. So he, he didn't have any discipline in the dressing room either. And guys were gallivanting around town. Orlando is a big party town. We know that. It's, you know, uh, it, 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 it's maybe second to Vegas in the country for that. But there was no discipline. And I, I, I observed that situation close up. That's why I, I was horrified when he was hired. But, but you know, there's a lot of uh, parallels between the Fort Lauderdale-Miami team and MLS and, and the uh, Orlando team because they, they hired, they've been using the same agency and the same HR people and, and some of the same personnel to, to staff up, which is why Paul McDonough and Nikki Budalik and all the, all the comm staff and the HR staff, why they were all the same as the people who were in Orlando um, earlier. So Price the benefited from that. But, look, I mean, the guy clearly has lost. You know, you can be good in one era. And I think his partnership with Garth Lagerwey was a special partnership. And they, they got to school also together at Duke, remember, uh, and had both played in Major League Soccer um, and were pioneers. And it, it's a really sad thing because Jason Christ is one of the great players in MLS. I mean, I hate the fact in the MLS history, I hate, I hate the fact that his, uh, uh, you know, this, this guy who for, for a long period of time was the all-time leading goal scorer in, in, in our top domestic league is going to be remembered not for, uh, for his playing career, but for being just this epic failure as a, as a, as a manager. I, I, I'm sad about that, personally, because I loved him as a player. And I liked him as a manager. And I, in the interest of full disclosure, you know, he gave me more access to his team, he and his staff. You know, a lot of it was Garth and, 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 and the comp staff they have there, John Kaluder and others. But, yeah, I had more access to Salt Lake than any team in MLS when I was reporting on MLS. Um, and you remember I mean, that. I'm not going to take away. Yeah, yes. But if something went wrong, I'm not gonna, I'm, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, and, and no, I understand what you're saying. He's your laurels, and he's not a good manager now. He, he, can't, he can't be employed in a, in a high-level job like this. I know. And that's what I'm trying to say, Cardick, is that I'm not taking away what he's done as a player, taking anything away from what he has done as a player. He is to be celebrated for converting 100 goals in his MLS career. He's deserved every accolade he's earned as a player. He's deserved the accolade. Um, as a manager for Real Salt Lake, but now he has lost the plot completely. He's completely lost the plot. I just don't think he'll be good enough anymore to be a head coach or the top guy in any Division One club in MLS where they're outside of it because right now he doesn't know what the hell he's doing and he cannot lead men anymore. And at the same time, he can't lead kids anymore into a tournament where you had to qualify because you had to not only reach the top two in your group, had to win this game, to punch your ticket to the Olympics, and you couldn't do it either. It is just an absolute disgrace what we've watched here, and it's terrible. It's terrible. If he didn't see the, the changes he had to make to make sure that there was going to be no way we're going to fail, 
then he didn't catch it quickly enough to do the job, and that's a shame within its own. It's just terrible, absolutely terrible, and I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm, I'm disgusted, and I'm ashamed. And unfortunately, Cardick, we're going to have to leave it at that and say goodnight as the United States has now lost qualification to the Olympic Games, the Summer Games, for the third straight cycle. Uh, it has been heartbreaking. It has been frustrating. It has been an absolute disgrace, and I'm, I wish, I pray to God that they will find a way to fix this because if they're not going to find the right man to lead these kids into success and glory, then what are we doing? I hate to, to quote Taylor Twalman, but what are we doing? It's terrible. Thank you again, as always, Cardick. I'll talk to you next time and uh, talk to you next Monday about uh, PASL News. Thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look forward to that. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Carter Krishnar from World Soccer Talk joining me as uh, we are officially done with the CONCACAF Men's Olympic Qualifying Tournament. This semifinal matchup ends in a disappointing 2-1 defeat for the United States. They stay home as Honduras will now travel to the Far East, head over to the land of the rising sun, and be in the Tokyo-Japan Games of the Summer Olympiad. It's disgusting. It's terrible. And it's just a very big disappointment, once again, for our national team. They cannot qualify for the Olympic Games. For Carter Krishnar of World Soccer Talk, this is Daniel Feuerstein of uh, the Forestings Fire American Soccer Show. I also want to thank Mr. Eduardo Solano on the Honduras side of things to come on in and uh, talk a little bit about the Honduran side of the situation. Join me. Uh, well, you know, I wasn't going to do a show tomorrow night, but I might as well. So tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific, join me once again for the Forestings Fire American Soccer Show. For Eduardo Solano, Carter Krishnire, I'm Daniel Feuerstein. As always, enjoy your football, but go ahead and do what you got to do to get this bad taste out of your mouth. Because once again, we miss out on the Olympics. It is the hat trick of misses for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.